welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. We're in the book of Jonah right now. We've been in the book of Jonah for a few weeks. We're going to be there a few more weeks. This morning, as we get into chapter three, we're going to be talking big picture about two bookends of the Christian life. In fact, I've got a slide for it here. We'll put that up. Two bookends of the Christian life. And so the first bookend on this side is salvation. Okay? This is where we begin. It's when someone personally responds to Jesus in repentance and faith and yields their life to his lordship. Okay? Salvation. Repentance. Faith. There's some key words there. So I just want to unpack that for just a minute. Because salvation is this um, experience that, uh, well, first of all, it is, um, what do we say? It's, it's responding to Jesus personally, which means it's not a decision that your family made for you in terms of the family you were born into. That regardless of the spiritual background of your family, which, whether it was there or wasn't there, that's not a decision. That, the salvation is not a decision that's made for you by someone else. Not by your family, not by your spouse, not by the, the nation you were born into. You're not a Christian because of the nation you were born into. Becoming a follower of Jesus, what we typically call being a Christian or a disciple, that is a personal decision that we arrive at a, at a place where we, we open our lives to Jesus. So there's three elements to that that I just put in that definition. One is, is, is repentance. And repentance is that recognition that, that God, uh, along the, the, the days of my life, I have sinned against you. I've, I've sinned against, I've, I've lived independently and, and rebellious in my own way against your ways, against your intentions. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I failed to do things that I should have done. And so I'm, today I'm repenting of that and I'm asking for forgiveness. Right? That's, that's repentance. And it's a commitment to not only ask for forgiveness, but to begin going a different direction. Like, I'm going to begin trying to change who, who I am and the way I've been doing things. That's repentance. Now, the, the next part there is um, faith. And faith is the part of saying, I can't do that on my own. I'm incapable of, of paying for my own sin. I'm incapable of doing enough good to balance out the, the wrong that I've done. I'm incapable of actually even changing myself. And so I'm asking you to do that as I'm repenting. I'm asking that what you accomplished on the cross and what you accomplished at your tomb would be applied to my life. I'm asking for that. So we're asking that, that we would be forgiven for all of the, the, th- the wrong we've done, the, the right that we've not done. We're asking forgiveness because Jesus did it and, and his cross in some cosmic universal way satisfies God's, God's requirements of us. And that we can say, God, would you apply that to my life? What you accomplished on the cross, would you apply that to my life? And what you accomplished when you rose from the grave, that you unleashed new life in this world, that that was the first of resurrected life. I'm asking for that for me too. Okay, that's, that's faith. And then the last part is then yielding our lives to his lordship. And so it's not just saying a prayer and saying, I agree that Jesus is the son of God. It goes deeper than that to say, God, I, I want you to be in the driver's seat of my life. I no longer want to keep doing things just uh, with me as, as the, the Lord of my little fiefdom. 
but I want, I want you to be in control. Okay, so that's salvation. That's the first bookend. The second bookend is sanctification. And that's where we arrive, having been fully formed in the image of Christ. And I, I chose this word fully formed because we're, what, what God's inviting us to become is fully his image bearers. And even this morning, Pastor Jesse was talking about how we're, we're made in his image. And Janet was sharing that. And Pastor Janet was sharing about how we are beautiful, not intrinsically because of what we've done, but because of who he's made us to be. Every person, Christian or not, follower of Jesus or not, is, is made to be an image bearer of God. That's what we're told in Genesis is that God made people as his image bearers. He made mankind, men and women, to carry his image. And so well, we, we see that. And what it tells us is that, that that's who God's made us to be, and yet we're, we carry his image distorted ways. Right? The, the fact that I sin against God, I, I'm, I'm distorting his image. And so being sanctified is coming to fully represent Jesus the best that I can, right? And so we say that this is something that, that uh, it's living our lives in a way that we carry and reflect Jesus' image faithfully, without distortions. And so we're fully embodying Jesus in, in things, for example, like in our motives and desires. Like, what is it that causes me to do what I do? What's, what's that thing that's driving me that sometimes I may not pay attention to, but it's actually the driving force of my life. It's the motivational structure of my heart. What is that? The motives and, and desires. We, we want that to come into alignment with Jesus. It's in our longings and appetites, the things that we crave, the things that we long for, the things that we think about, that we're drawn to, that we move towards, our longings and our appetites. We want to fully embody Jesus in our responses and our reactions. Our responses and our reactions are, are the way we, re, we, we respond to the world around us. Sometimes that's intentional when we have the time to, to stop and think, how should I respond to this? Sometimes it's reactive. It's just what comes out of us, you know, what comes out of us when we get squeezed we want to fully embody Jesus in both of those, in the ways that we choose to respond and the ways we reflexively react. We want it in our habits and practices, the things that we do repeatedly. Either those things that we do repeatedly over and over, our, our habits, our practices, either they are in line with who Jesus is and reflect his nature, or they're a distortion of his image. Also in our words and deeds, the things we speak, the things we type, the things we thumb, and the things that we do, right? This is, this is sanctification, okay? These are the two bookends, salvation, sanctification. Sanctification is when every aspect of our lives are fully aligned with who Jesus is and how he would live with if he were us. So those are the bookends we're going to be talking about today. The thing about sanctification, the second bookend, is that it's not only where we fully arrive, it's also the, the journey in between those two things. It's the journey in between personal salvation and fully sanctified. That process is also our sanctification. We see this in a letter that Paul wrote to the church, the, the, the believers that were in Philippi. Listen to what he said. This is Philippians 1.3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you first heard it. Okay, here, here he's describing the first bookend of their life from the time that you first heard about it until now. And I'm certain that the one, that God who began, that's salvation, the one who began a good work in you will continue, continue is the process in between, 
until the day it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Has Christ returned yet? No. If he had, we would not be in the state we were in. <laughs> we're in, right? We wouldn't be shooting down each other's balloons and like all the things going on in this world, all the things that make the news, those wouldn't be happening and being reported if Jesus had returned. And also our lives would be fully like him. Until he does, we're in that sanctification process. So do you see the three parts there just in that little verse? The first bookend salvation, the lasting bookend completion, the process in between. Where, and he describes it as God will continue this work in you. So this brings us to Jonah. I, I, I titled our message today that sometimes sanctification continues. That's our, our word from Philippians. It continues through our feet. Continues through our feet. So this brings us back to the study of Jonah. Um, what we find in today's portion of Jonah is that the, churn, the journey between those two bookends, between salvation and sanctification, it's a longer journey than we might hope or expect. Have you experienced this? If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you've likely experienced, if you're thoughtful at all about what it means to live in this world and to aspire to join Jesus, that um, it takes longer and, and is more involved than we ever thought? Have you prayed for an area of sanctification in your life? Prayed and said, God, would you change this in me? I, I desperately want to, to do this differently or be differently in this way. And it feels like one step forward and then two steps back, right? Well, that's sanctification. But the issue here, what we find in Jonah, is that it does move forward and it's often through our feet. So we're gonna do a quick recap of Jonah. I'm gonna put up a slide because this, this map this basically uh, reflects the story of Jonah. So here's what we know about the man Jonah. He is a, a Hebrew or a Jewish prophet living in like the 7th or 8th century BC. So not AD, but BC. And if you look at that middle red dot, the one that's, it's, the big letters say Israel, it, the smaller letters say Joppa, but he lived slightly northeast of that. He lived in a, a, a little town. And... Um, and here's the thing about Jonah. Um, where is it? God had previously spoken to him, uh, spoken through him to his own people. Okay, so he's had a ministry of speaking to the nation of Israel. So right there, let's put that red dot back up. See, Israel, he's, he's been speaking to his people that right in the vicinity of that red dot. In the book of Jonah, God's giving him a different assignment. It's not only a different assignment for him, it's actually a pretty different assignment than God has given any other of his contemporary prophets. And that's that he's told him he wants him to go to Nineveh. If you see the green dot, the big letters say Assyria, the smaller letters say Nineveh. That's where he's sent to go. And that's not just a new place, that's a new people. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians are the reigning world power at this moment in human history. And we know not only through biblical history, but we know through uh, through archaeology, through historians, we know that they are a wicked and violent people. Uh, Assyria has been described as a terrorist state. And they, and they treated people with violence. They treated one another with wickedness and violence. But that rippled out to the nations around them. And so as the reigning world empire, they had conquered many other nations, including uh, at some point they're going to conquer Israel. They haven't yet. And they'll take people into captivity and they treat them with violence. And so Jonah's sent to go there, and he doesn't want to go. 
So if we look at the map, where does he go? Well, instead of going to the green dot labeled Assyria, he heads off in the direction of that red dot towards Tarshish, which was the end of the known world. He basically says, not only am I not going to go, and not only am I not going to stay put, I'm going to go the other direction as far as I can possibly go. This isn't one step forward and two steps back. This is like a marathon backwards, right? It's the wrong direction. So um, that's how Jonah begins. We saw in chapter one, beautiful theme that you can trace in the book of Jonah is that God is the creator God. In fact, when God, or when Jonah describes God, his God, to people that don't know his God, he doesn't describe him as Yahweh, which is the personal name that Israel knew, knew God as. He describes him as, as the God of heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, remember, that's, that's everything. He's the God over all creation. And this God that's over all creation, he is sovereignly appointing things throughout this story. And so first of all, when, when, this, uh, when Jonah gets on the boat going to Tarshish, God appoints a great storm and he throws it at the boat that he's on. Uh, one of the translations reads that God hurled a great storm at them, which is just this like very sovereign intentional move, okay? So God hurls a storm at them. This causes the, the crew of the ship, their Phoenician sailors, this causes them to be, uh, to be very desperate to cry out for help. And eventually what happens, we saw this in chapter one, they throw Jonah overboard because Jonah tells them, this is the only way to to make my God that I worship call off the storm that he sent. He sent this because I'm rebelling against him. He he said, you know, I'm I'm running away from the Lord. And the only way to save your own lives is to toss me overboard. Now, when I read that, I ask a question. And the question is this, was that repentance on Jonah's part? Was that repentance? And I don't know. I mean, if I think about what would repentance look like in Jonah's circumstances, I think it could look like a lot of things. I think it could look like saying, you know what? Turn around and take me back to the shore and God will relent the storm. He doesn't say that. He says, throw me overboard. Which at at least in terms of what, what, what does this say about Jonah? It says, well, at least he's not trying to drag them down with him. He recognizes that these Phoenician sailors are innocent. They're not complicit in his rebellion. But he says right there with his actions, what he's going to say in chapter four multiple times with his words. And it's this, I'd rather die than take your mercy to the Assyrians. Okay? That, he's, he's going to literally say that multiple times. He's this petulant prophet. He's like, I'd rather die. And what he says in chapter four, he says here with his actions. I do think it's actually a step of his sanctification because at least he recognized that he didn't want to take the Phoenicians down with him. So Jonah goes down into the depths of the Mediterranean Sea and now God appoints something else from his creation. He appoints a great fish to come and swallow him because Jonah was just not that strong of a swimmer. It's a miraculous intervention. It's a disruption of the natural order of what we normally experience. There's people who struggle with the book of Jonah and they say, yeah, it's probably fiction or an allegory. It's probably something that was made up to communicate a point because look at like, we don't know about whales swallowing people and them surviving. Well, that's kind of the point. It's a miracle. And the creator God who made the sea and the dry land and the great fishes 
if he wants to suspend the natural order in order to move his purposes forward, he has the, the, the power and the right to do that, right? So that's what we see. Now he appoints a great fish to come and swallow Jonah. I do find this interesting, though. In my preparation, I came across a study where we find that something, although this is abnormal, it's not completely unheard of. We have some parallels of something that's kind of like that. This comes from a book called 63 Years of Engineering. Okay, the book is, this is an excerpt from 63 Years of Engineering. It records this story and it says that this was authenticated by contemporary scientists at the time. Now listen to this because it, it gives us a little bit of insight into Jonah as we, as we meet him today in chapter three. This is going to give us a little bit of insight. February of 1891, 1891, that's like 130 years ago. The whaling ship Star of the East was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands and the lookout sighted a large sperm whale three miles away. Two boats were lowered in and in a short time, one of the harpooners was enabled to spear the creature. The second boat also attacked the whale but was then upset by a lash of its tail so that its crew fell into the sea. One of them was drowned but the other, James Bartley, simply disappeared. After the whale was killed, the crew set out to work with axes and spades, or spades removing the blubber. They worked all day and part of the night. The next day, they attacked some, attached some tackle to the stomach, which was hoisted on deck. The sailors were startled by something in it which gave spasmodic signs of life. And inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid on the deck and treated to a bath of seawater, which soon revived him. At the end of the third week, so three weeks after this event, he had entirely recovered from the shock and had resumed his duties. However, his face, neck, and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness and took on the appearance of parchment. Probably his whole body was parchment. What the other sailors could see was his hands, his face, right? Let's give us a little insight into what Jonah might have experienced and how he may have arrived in, in uh, Nineveh. So meanwhile, before we move on from there, it's worth noting the Phoenician sailors who Jonah just encountered on the boat, they've had their own encounter with Yahweh, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And when we last saw them after they threw Jonah overboard and when the storm stopped, it said that they began worshiping Jonah's God and making sacrifices to him and making vows. Now, what I've wondered is, is that the moment of their salvation? Is that the moment where they, where they surrender their lives to God? I don't know. We're not told, actually, what, what, what quantifies as saving faith? That's God's prerogative, not ours. But I know it was a step towards that. It may have been part of their spiritual gestation towards one day having a new birth in God, or maybe it was. So I had an interesting thing happen this week. I was, um, I was in our time of worship and prayer, which uh, Monday through Thursday, we gather at 9 a.m. in one of the auditoriums over here off the office lobby. And uh, usually it's Pastor Jesse leads us in a time of worship and prayer. It's, it's open, it's open house, so anybody can drop in at any point. Um, it is at nine o'clock, so not everybody can make that time, but we, that's when we can consistently do it. So I'm in there one morning and Jesse leads us in the same song that actually he led it. I didn't know he was going to do that. He led us in this morning, I exalt thee. And he led us in that song that morning too. And that's, a, that's an old song. If you, if you haven't heard that before, that's, a, that's an old song. It goes back to like, I don't know, 70s, 80s, somewhere back there. Old, <laughs> I don't know. But... 
I had a flashback as we were singing that song. I think it was like Wednesday morning, Tuesday morning. I had a flashback and it was me at a church camp when I was in, I think, fifth or sixth grade. I was at a church camp at Bellevue Bible Camp. It's a, a camp, it was an Assemblies of God camp up near um, Haley and Ketchum. And we'd had chapel one night and then we'd left chapel and we'd gone outside and there was a bonfire outside and all the campers, we were standing around the campfire and we were singing songs and, and we started singing that song. And something happened in me in that moment. And I began singing that song in a different way than I normally sang along. I wasn't just kind of like mouthing the words and kind of like being there. Suddenly something awakened in me and I wanted to sing that song at the top of my lungs to God. Like it was actually, it wasn't, I wasn't just singing a song. I was singing to God. And uh, it was different than like, you know, singing along with the radio or something like that. There was something happening in me. Now, looking back on that, I don't, that wasn't the moment of my salvation. My, my salvation, the, 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 you know, again, the, the bookend for the beginning of my Christian life, my new birth, it happened on about, I don't know, 10 years later as I was driving up Highway 55 towards McCall. But what was happening back then and all the years before that is there was a spiritual gestation happening before the life finally emerged. It's not that unlike natural birth, right? With natural birth, there's a moment where, where conception happens and life begins. And, and then there's this gestation where, where a life is being formed, it's being shaped, it's developing. And at some point, there's actually this definitive mark of, of birth when the child enters into the world and there's birth. Well, spiritual birth is not that unlike that, except for that the gestation is wildly different. It's not always nine months, and it may be nine years or 90 years. But, but things are happening. And my question for you this morning, as we get ready to resume our Jonah text, do you have a definitive moment in your life where you can say, that's the moment that new birth happened in me? That's the moment that, that the gestation ended and I wasn't just having spiritual experiences or being around spiritual conversations, but that's the moment where I surrendered my life to Jesus, where I confessed to him and I, and I said, I repent. And in faith, would you make what you won on the cross and in the tomb, would you make that apply to me? And I yield control of my life to you. Most Christians throughout church history can, can look at the moment and say, the moment that that happened for me was thus. If you haven't had that, you may be, my, my question for you is, have you had that new birth? Maybe you're, you're in gestation and maybe today's the opportunity for you to say, I, I want to receive it. I want to give God my yes. Just let you think about that a little bit. So anyway, back to Jonah. We're going to turn to Jonah 2 verse 9. This is when Jonah is sinking in the water. And um, here we hear Jonah's change of heart where he says, okay, maybe I will go. This is his prayer from the whale over the fish. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. At some point, Jonah had said, God, if you save me, I'll go. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. <laughs> dry land, where? We're not told. You put our map back up. Is, is, it some, is, it back, is he back in Joppa where he started? Is he somewhere along the Mediterranean coast? We're not told. But just think about this. If he was deposited 
ceremoniously deposited back near Joppa. He's got about a 550-mile walk to get to Nineveh. That's a lot of steps. That's a lot of days. I mean, if you assume foot speed is like 20 miles a day, that's like he's going to take him a month to get there. It's a lot of steps. Turn to Jonah 3.1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise. So word of the Lord came a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. I, I, I take note of that bolded part. Take, I want you to proclaim the message that I give you. <laughs> That's not the second time that Jonah has ever heard a word from the Lord. We know that he's, again, he's been in ministry in Israel. It's the second time this word came to him. The first time God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. This time he says, uh, okay, do over, mulligan. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> Let a little, little detour. Go to Nineveh, that great city, that wicked city, and cry out against their wickedness, the message that I tell you. It's God putting some parameters on Jonah. It seems that, that God knows that Jonah's heart isn't quite into this yet. That at the moment that it, in the, the belly of the fish, when he said, if you save me, I'll go, that it wasn't an actually heart change. It was just a, a saying, okay, I'll go. God is very clear that it's his own message he wants Jonah to deliver, not the one that's percolating in Jonah's own heart. So remember, again, God is working on multiple levels in this book. There, there, this is, Jonah is a story about the, the wickedness and the violence of the Assyrians and how God was warning them that if they didn't change, he was going to send judgment. Okay, that, that is a storyline in the book. But the, the main story is actually what God was doing in Jonah. That God was patiently and persu persistently pursuing the heart and mind of Jonah, stretching his heart to include love and mercy for people that he didn't think were worthy of God's love and mercy. Here's what God wants. Come back to our salvation, sanctification. What God is doing in Jonah is shaping his heart to be like the heart of Jesus. At this time, Jonah does not reflect the heart of God or the heart of Jesus in this. So uh, Jonah arrives in Nineveh, verse 3. Jonah 3.3. 3. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Actually, he had an exclamation mark, exclamation point. 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's a relatively short sermon. It's eight words. And think about the first impression. So, so Jonah walks into the city. He walks into the interior of Nineveh and he starts preaching. What do you think their first impressions were? Because I think Jonah was a little bit worse for the wear at this point. He's had at least a month to walk off maybe the smell of the vomit. Maybe. I mean, there's a reason. I was thinking about this. Barf bags are disposable, right? You use them once and then you're done. There's a reason for that because once the smell of vomit saturates something, it's a little hard to shake. So I don't know how Jonah smelled. I do know just from our story about the guy in the Falkland Islands that even after three weeks, his skin was still bleached from the stomach juices. So I think Jonah probably looks a little bit shocking. 
So he stands at the intersection of First and Main in Nineveh, looking and smelling, half digested. And he preaches eight words. 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Here's my question. Did he give the full message that God gave him? I don't think he did. Because what he gives is an announcement of what is certain, not an invitation to repent. Let me repeat that. He just, he just makes an announcement. It's an edict, not a warning. What he, what he omits and leaves out is the whole point of the 40-day advance notice. The 40 days, God was giving them a window in which they could repent and turn. Otherwise, why send Jonah? Why make him walk 500 miles northeast in order to warn them if this is a done deal and they can't repent? The whole reason to give him 40 days is to say, to repent, turn from your ways. Jonah may not have added to the message that God gave him, but it seems that he abbreviated it. It seems that he left something out. He censored it. He left out the specifics about why they were going to be overthrown. And we get to the end of, of, of the book of Jonah, and God describes the spiritual condition of the Assyrians. And he says, yeah, they don't know their right hand from their left. Which wasn't literal. It's not like they couldn't figure out, are we right-handed? It's that they were spiritually illiterate. And so Jonah's supposed to go and tell them, hey, these things you're doing, these are against our creator's ways. You need to stop that. You need to repent. Jonah doesn't give them any specifics about why they're going to be overthrown. He's left out the instructions of how they should repent if they want to. He's not told them about God's nature. Not only is God just, but he's also merciful. That if you repent, he will relent. He doesn't have any clever illustrations, no stories, no style points. This is a pretty weak sermon, honestly. <laughs> and the question it leaves us with is why? After he vowed to obey God's instructions while rejoicing for his own rescue, rejoicing that God, God is the, you are the God of salvation. You've rescued me from the depths of the water. And yet he is stingy with God's mercy. He doesn't want to extend it to other people. Here's the thing. This is not enthusiastic, wholehearted obedience. This eight-word sermon this is not wholehearted obedience. It's reluctant compliance. Jonah is going, but he's gritting his teeth and he's going against his better judgment. He thinks this is a bad idea. He thinks God shouldn't be doing this. And he's only going out of pride because he said he would do it. And God's been pretty persevering in making him go. So he's taking one step at a time, but he doesn't like it. Here's the thing about the book. I'll, I'll just flash forward to the ending. It never gets any better. Jonah never looks better in this book. He never has a redemptive moment where he changes and grows and has this epiphany. And he starts bad and he ends worse. He ends, like I said, he's a petulant prophet. He's like, I'd rather die. He never gets any better. But I believe there is redemption and change for Jonah. We just don't get to read about it in the book directly. Here's, here's what I would say. Jonah's repentance is not in the book of Jonah. It is the book of Jonah. Jonah didn't have to write this down. Nobody knew this happened. This happened 500 miles away in another nation where there were no Israelites at the time. 
he doesn't have to tell the story. If he, if he doesn't have a heart change, he can leave the story there. He can walk back and say, God, that was a stupid thing you did. But he writes it down. He records the story for other people because he wants others to benefit from what he learned along the way, from his sanctification. He wants others to be sanctified through his sanctification. So he, he wrote it down. He passed it along to his contemporaries in Israel. They saved it in the Hebrew scriptures so that we're benefiting from it today. Jonah did repent. He, he was sanctified in this. It was just a long journey. It took a lot longer than what we would have liked. But it happened. <laughs> this is an indicator that eventually Jonah's heart was conformed to the heart of Jesus. The main storyline of this book as it's written is the sanctification of Jonah. There's, again, I said a minute ago that the, there is a subplot about what's happening with the Assyrians. And make no mistake, the wickedness and violence of the Assyrians, the things they were doing to one another, the things they were inflicting on other nations, God cared about that and wanted to bring justice to it. But God also wanted to bring mercy to it. That's, that is a part of the book, but it is not the main storyline. If you think about how stories are written, there's usually an A story and a B story. The A story in the book of Jonah was what God was, was doing in him in sanctifying his heart to become more like Jesus. That's the main storyline of the book. We started this morning with a, a verse from Philippians about God continually shaping us until Jesus returns. That statement that sanctification sometimes continues through our feet. What we see for Jonah is this began with a turn and a walk, and it was the amount of obedience that Jonah could muster up in that moment. We look at what Jonah did, and we, we see him like, you know, getting up, dusting himself off on the beach. God says, go, and so he starts going, but it's, it's not full-hearted obedience. It's this reluctant compliance. It's a comical amount of obedience, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a funny book, especially when you get to chapter four. But you know what God did with that? God used it to change his heart. It was enough for God to work with because here's the thing, when it comes to both salvation and sanctification and everything in between, God does the heavy lifting. Jonah's little act of obedience was enough for God to work with. Paul explains it later. We looked at Philippians 1, Philippians 2. Paul goes on and says some more things about sanctification. This is what he says. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He says, keep Keep acting in, in alignment with your salvation. Keep obeying God. When God gives you a new uh, instruction, when God nudges you in a new direction, keep obeying that because God is at work in you and he's going to take that small act of obedience and he's going to use it to shape not only your actions but your desires. When, when someone is born again, when that new birth happens, God places his spirit inside of people. That's the power source for actual life change and transformation and being shaped like Jesus. And so that's what Paul says here. He says, God is working in you, giving you the desire to, and the power to do what pleases him. This brings us each to the process of our own sanctification, where we are in between salvation and being fully formed in the image of Jesus. What I can say with absolute confidence is that 100% of us are not fully formed to be like Jesus. Because he hasn't come back yet and we're not done. And so we're on this long journey where we take one step forward, sometimes two steps back, 
But the invitation is to keep moving forward in faith, saying, God, would you finish the work that you've begun in me? That's been my prayer for us as a, as a, as a faith community, as a spiritual family on mission this week, is God, would you continue and bring to a completion the work that you're doing in Vineyard Boise? In every single person and in who we are together, how we carry his name in our world. God takes our small steps of obedience and he uses them to shape and form in order to sanctify us. And in the same way that Paul promised the Philippians, God promises to us. He promises to bring to completion our part if we keep taking steps of obedience. It doesn't matter how feeble, how half-hearted our steps are. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've made a step forward and then you found yourself three steps back. And if you've done that repeatedly. God is patient and he's persistent and he will finish the good work he's begun in you. I sense there's people in this room right now or people that are joining us online that are discouraged because they've been trying to deal with an aspect of sanctification for a long time. And God wants to awaken faith in you today to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring healing to that. I'm gonna bring freedom to that. I'm gonna bring change to that. Because it's not all about you. I'm going to finish the good work I began in you. Do you hear your Heavenly Father saying that to you today? Let it awaken faith. Let it awaken humility that you can't do it yourself. It's not a matter of you just trying harder. It's a matter of taking small steps of obedience that God then takes and uses to complete our sanctification. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Whether you're on campus or whether you're online, I'm just gonna we're just gonna make a little bit of space. I've I've used a lot more than eight words today, haven't I? Can we agree that was a lot of words, Trevor? You've heard from me. I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want us to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so Joy's just gonna play, and we're just gonna make a little bit of space right now. I'm gonna put up three questions. And I'm going to just let you read these three questions and reflect on them. What might God do through your small steps of obedience? We see the big work that he did in Jonah. It seemed comical at the time, but look what he did. What have you sensed God wanting to change in you, change that you may have been resisting? And is the Holy Spirit quietly nudging you in a new direction? We're just going to make a little space. Maybe can we, yeah, thank you. Pull down the lights a little bit. If you need to close your eyes, if that's helpful, you can close your eyes. If We're going to put, leave the questions up here so you can read them and reflect back on them. I just want to invite you to take a little space and say, God, would you speak to me about what the steps you're asking of me today? Come Holy Spirit, we need to hear from you. you awaken faith in us.
Let me just remind you of a few of the ways in which we're being sanctified to become more like Jesus, to, to fully represent his image in our world. Maybe what God's wanting to put his finger on today in your life has to do with your motives and desires. What's that thing in you that's driving you? Why do you do the things you do? Is that a work of who you used to be? Or is it in line with who God's making you to be? Maybe it's your motives and desires. Maybe it's your longings and your appetites. The things you're moving towards, drawn towards, the things you are grabbing for. Are your appetites and longings, are they in line with who Jesus is? Or are they a distortion? Maybe it's in your responses and reactions. Again, what comes out of you when stuff comes at you? Do you recognize patterns that are a distortion of who Jesus is? Maybe it's in your habits and practices, the things that you repeatedly do. And you recognize that some of those things are are not who Jesus is. They don't reflect Jesus as Lord of your life. Perhaps it's in your opinions and attitudes. You recognize that like Jonah, you have some strong opinions about other people other groups, other nations. And it falls short of God's loving mercy for people he's created. Maybe God's putting his finger on your words and deeds today. Or maybe it's on a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship that that God's just awakening you to some discomfort, saying this relationship needs to be changed. What have you sensed God wanting to change in you? Maybe it's change you've been resisting. Holy Spirit quietly nudging you in a new direction. And then the question is, if God's surfaced something in your heart today, change you want to make, what's, what's the next step? What's the next step for you to take forward that he can then fill? It may seem like a small act of obedience. God can do a lot with that. God does the heavy lifting of our sanctification. If you're on campus here, would you stand with me if you can? 
we're just going to close with an invitation. And the invitation is this. First of all, as I described this morning, this bookend of salvation and the fact that, that most followers of Jesus can point to a moment in which they said yes. There may have been a whole spiritual gestation that was happening in their life that led them to that moment, but there was a moment when they said, yes, I repent, I yield my life to you, I ask in faith for what you accomplished to matter to my life, to my eternity. And if you haven't had that, and that's stirring in you today, maybe that's the next step that God's stirring in you to begin this spiritual life, this new birth. I just want to invite you to raise your hand right where you are. And, um, and what we'd like to do is to pray for you today. And if, if someone is, is raising their hand, would you just move around them? There's a hand here, there's a hand over here. Would you put your hand on their shoulder? If, if people don't have their hands raised, it's probably because they've already had this experience. So don't feel, don't feel um, in the minority if you're looking around and you don't see people raising their hand. There's no time like today. You don't have to do this in a church service. You can do it anywhere. But you can do it right now. There's a hand back here. If you want to begin this new life with Jesus, let him do the heavy lifting of your salvation and your sanctification. Just give him your yes. I'm going to pray over you. And God, we... We thank you for these that have said yes to you today. We thank you for this moment of new birth. We thank you for all the things you've been doing to lead to this moment, the spiritual awakening, the, the shaping, the forming that you've been doing to lead to this moment. And today, as brothers and sisters in your family, we celebrate this surrender to you. We pray the same pray, prayer that Paul prayed. We say, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I am certain that God began, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until the day it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Father, we commit these to you. As they yield their lives to you in, in repentance and in faith, would you fill, fill the space that they've made Take this act of obedience and use it for your glory. Use it for the sake of others. Put things in motion for their family, for their coworkers, for their neighbors, for their destiny that we can't even imagine today. Amen. Before we leave, I want to invite you to do one thing. Um, if you, if, you, if you raise your hand, uh, we have a, a gift for you. So would you keep your hand or just make sure that you don't leave without that? We have just a little follow-up. But here's what I want to invite you to do. We're going to have some ministry prayer time. Our ministry team is going to be able, available to pray with people. In fact, we may have some words for prayer that we're going to put up on the screen. Here's our words for prayer today. This, this thing's our prayer team. They just prayed and said, God, what do you specifically want to do today? And they sensed these things. Seek covenant, sent, broken heart, 
chest pain, physical, like fluid around the heart and a damaged left hip socket. If you see yourself on there, especially if you see yourself on there, I want to invite you to come up or if you're online, you can raise your hand online and ask for prayer. If you see yourself on there, I don't leave without praying, getting prayer. But I also sense this morning one other thing. That's that some of you, you sensed the next step you're supposed to take and you, and you, you made a prayer this morning, just right here in this room or online, you, you made a commitment to make an, a step towards the thing that God is doing, your sanctification. And what I want to invite you to do is, is, especially if that's a pattern that you've not been able to break, I want to invite you to come up front and to share that with someone else, to speak that out and to share that with a brother or sister who can pray with you. And, and if it's just, just share it appropriately, whatever's appropriate for you to share, but speak it out. It's between you and God, but there's something powerful that happens when we confess those things to one another and we pray together. And so we want, we want to see God do the heavy lifting. Part of that is just stepping out in faith. So if you made a commitment today and you'd like prayer, you'd like to share that with somebody and just pray, I want to invite you to come up front, be part of this time up front where we're, we're just getting prayer. The reason we're having you step out front is because this is a stepping out. You're taking a step, right? This whole thing, it's a journey of many little steps. So I want to invite you to take that step today and, uh, and share with somebody, okay? Apart from that, we're not going to have a formal closing time where we're done for the morning. Um, encourage you to uh, go make the invisible God visible. Encourage you to uh, say hi to somebody if you... If you were sitting next to somebody and you feel led to uh, just connect, say hi. Apart from that, we're going to close with prayer and go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.